right, Libby, it's time for another podcast. What kind of podcast do we want to do today? Do you want to do maybe the Super Dark Podcast? Ooh, no, I, I don't think that would work. What if we did the, the one with the Scooby-Doo ending? Mm, no, I'm not really feeling that. What about the Mega Happy Podcast? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all your favorite movie soundtracks. My name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, as always, is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, party on. Party on, Joe. Uh, This week on the show, we are doing a little bit of a pivot. We said we were going to do Orange County, but we kind of reassessed where we were. Things happened. And ladies and gentlemen, this week we decided, why not do Wayne's World? Yes, indeed. It's been long enough. Part of the reason is because we, uh, the world did just lose uh, one meatloaf who appears in Wayne's World. And I feel like we need to, you know, at least acknowledge that real quick. Yes, indeed. R.I.P. Meatloaf. Who I'm rocking into heaven. Rocking into heaven with Jim Steinman. They're playing nine minute piano ballads for God now, <laughs> as, as, as the good Lord intended. But uh, yeah, Meatloaf is in there for a couple of minutes and then he gets out. But uh, also, this is, we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of Wayne's World, (laughs) which makes me feel older than dirt. That makes me really sad. Doesn't it? Oh, boy. Yeah. 1992. That was a really long time ago. It it was so long ago, and and I I this makes me feel old because I feel like this was one of the one of the first movies that I would like really latched onto as a kid. Yeah, for good reason because it's very silly and like kids can get into it pretty easily. It's tremendously silly. Although I will say, when you realize what Schwing is really referring to, that's a weird moment. Oh yeah, that's a weird moment. Shawing. There's like a lot. A lot of the sex jokes in this movie are played as very like teehee, aren't we being clever kind of things. But um, it's it's such a fun movie and it's such a good time. And I- I'm and glad I, we finally get a chance to talk about it tonight. Yeah, it's one of those I haven't seen it in years, but I realize like how much I still quote from it mm-hmm. in ways, and and we'll get to them. But in ways that I think have confused my husband. Like, I'll just say a quote and I'll be like, oh, sorry, it's from Wayne's World. Yeah. <laughs> it is genuinely one of those movies where if I find out a friend has not seen it, I will try to make them watch Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. You know, it's a it, classic in the genre. Even just among, like, comedies. It's just, it's so good. It's so funny. It's so iconic. And it's so, such a, like, it's weird. It's a very weird film. Like, when you really sit down and deconstruct it. Yeah is what we're going to do tonight and you know like just a little bit of context first like the first wayne's world sketch uh, yeah i want to get this off the table now because i feel like people someone's going to talk about it at some point but like the first wayne's world sketch aired on saturday night live february 18th 1989 which is only notable because it's one day after the release of bill and ted's excellent adventure ha and this has led to a lot of people speculating over whether or not snl ripped off bill and ted but uh, as it turns out, you know, Mike Myers has been doing the Wayne Campbell character since the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. 
So he's he's kind of been doing this, you know, a, a long before Bill and Ted. But then, you know, Chris Matheson and Ed Sol- Solomon, they developed Bill and Ted, you know, in the mid 80s as well. So I kind of feel like it's just, you know, two groups of people coming up with the same joke at the same time. Yeah, I think there was something in the cosmos that inspired four iconic himbos. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not like... Stars. It's not like the metalhead community wasn't ripe for parody. So, like, it was bound to happen mm-hmm. at least twice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, Bill and, Bill and Ted's got its place and Wayne's World has its place. And I think they can both coexist, you know, pretty happily. I'm yeah, okay with that. I think Bill and Ted is the better film. I think Wayne's World is the funnier film. Yeah, like, they're both comedies, but one is definitely funnier than the other. So, and I think it's with Wayne's World, I think a lot of it is we're entering that real catchphrase heavy era of SNL and it really is quotable. Yes, absolutely. And in small bite size, because that sound bites in a way, in a way that Bill and Ted really wasn't. So I think Bill and Ted is the smarter film. Yeah, they're both definitely built very differently. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, like I said, there's room for both. So, yeah, we've got a lot of, of ground to cover tonight, so let's just jump straight into um, our old business from last episode. I almost skipped right over it. Yeah, no, you can't. I can't. Where we asked you, what was the best song from the Vision Quest soundtrack? And with 43% of the vote, Madonna's Crazy For You won that pretty easily. That surprises me how how much she ran away with that. And again, I love Crazy For You, but I was thinking it was going to be a tighter race because... As we talked about, this really is kind of an iconic soundtrack. Yeah. And I thought there'd be a little more battle between things like Lunatic Fringe and Only the Young, even Gambler, uh, which I don't think was on the poll, but um, I was surprised nobody put that in the comments. Yeah, like as, as many hit songs and, and like classic bits as were on that soundtrack, we really didn't get any comments. People saying, you left this off or you left that off. Like we usually yeah, it's do. Like, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess we covered it pretty well. So thanks, guys. I guess so glad we could be of service yeah so uh 33 of the vote was uh red riders lunatic fringe second place people really like that song i did yeah. see a lot of comments about that people remember hearing that on the radio which is weird because i've never heard it on the radio i i definitely remember hearing it never, never having watched. a single clue what it was or here or finding out like the name of the song or who it was no. by <laughs> no it's just one of those songs i guess <laughs> uh the third place with 14 points was john waits change which i feel like was kind of Shortchanged, if you will. You, but I'm. Yeah, thank you. I you voted. Love that song. I like it. It really won me over. But then, unfortunately, fourth place with nine and a half percent was Journey's "Only the Young." <laughs> How dare you, people? Yeah, that really that surprised me. I would have thought that would have come in second place because it's such a great. It's not only a great song, but it's such a great Journey song. Yeah, we we called it the Platonic Ideal of a journey song it's got everything so i'm really surprised they placed that low i know it's so inspirational like how can you not feel good listening to only the young yeah you just want to like run in slow motion carrying a torch or something i don't know climb a mountain i even put it first in the poll thinking people would listen to that one first i i made a mistake apparently you give please go back and listen to journeys only the young and see if it doesn't lift your whole soul yes Definitely. If there's anything you take from the Wayne's World episodes, go back and listen to Journey. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anywho, that's the last we'll talk about Journey for tonight. Uh, let's jump straight ahead to billboarding school for the Wayne's World because there oh is a heck of a lot of it. Oh my God, there must be so much. I know. Strap yourselves in, folks. Uh, so before Wayne's World even hit, the biggest soundtrack in America was the soundtrack for a film called Rush, which is only notable because it was composed by Eric Clapton. <laughs> who, for whatever reason, also appears on the Wayne's World soundtrack. <laughs> I know. Uh, but Wayne's World hit the charts March 7th, 1992 at number 14, beating Rush. And then the Thankfully. number one album. Yeah, thank God for that. But the number one album that week was Garth Brooks's Roping the Wind. Yuck. Yeah, get ready. It was a weird time. 1992, as we're going to discuss, was a very, very weird time in music. And it's it's going to be interesting to talk about how this soundtrack fits in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, 1992, everyone talks about it being like the year of grunge music breaking big and all that stuff. But the thing everyone kind of forgets is that for, for most of that year, the number one album was either Garth Brooks or Billy Ray Cyrus. Like country Dark music. Times. No wonder people were like mad and smashing instruments and wearing flannel and being upset. Yeah, country music was okay. quietly the most popular thing in America. Gross. Uh, but Wayne's World hit number one in its fifth week, knocking Garth Brooks down to number two. Take that. And it was there for two weeks. Then a funny thing happens that I kind of just want to mention briefly. Uh, it gets bumped down to number five when four albums all debut in the top four spots. They are Def Leppard's Adrenalize, Bruce Springsteen's Human Touch, and Lucky Town, and the self-titled album by Winona Judd. Now, Libby, let me let me quiz you. Can you name a single song off of any of those four albums? I'm going to say no, but only because I don't know what Def Leppard album Photograph appears on. I think it's on Pyromania. Mm. You could have taken the trick answer and said Human Touch, but you didn't, and I appreciate that. <laughs> But yeah, like all these albums just randomly showed up, like the all, all of a sudden beating Wayne's World. I don't know why. 1992 was a strange time. Anyway, uh, so Wayne's World stayed on the charts 47 weeks, uh, finally left the charts in January of 93, when the number one album was Whitney Houston's Bodyguard soundtrack. Of course. Yeah, of course it was. <laughs> of course. We keep coming around to it. Yeah. Keep coming back to Whitney Houston and the Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess the last real stat that I want to talk about is uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, because the Wayne's World soundtrack is instrumental in bringing that song back into the, I guess, the limelight. And Bohemian Rhapsody wound up hitting number two on the charts in May of 92. Uh, do you know what song kept it from number one? If you say achy, breaky heart, I'm going to walk into traffic. <laughs> well, it was jumped by crisscross, so. Okay. 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 That's, that's not better. <laughs> Slightly better. <laughs> I can't explain why, but it is. <laughs> but yeah, like Wayne's World was like instrumental in in bringing Queen back to sort of some kind of popularity, and right after Freddie Mercury passes away too. Yep. I guess it's beautiful timing or sad timing, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's a nice little tribute. To yeah. him, and their their last album with him was in 1991, so and that had the show must go on, which of course is his swan song. Yeah, and it did come out recently that Freddie Mercury was able to see that the that iconic scene from Wayne's World before he passed, and apparently he really enjoyed it. That's good. Yeah, yeah, I know they got the blessing for the video because they cut 
um, clips from Wayne's World with the original Bohemian Rhapsody video. And Mike Myers was scared that it would offend the band. And they're like, no, just thanks for using our song. Yeah. The 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 phrase that he specifically said was, it's like whizzing on a Picasso. Mm-hmm. And he's not wrong, but at least they were cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now let's talk about Wayne's World, the movie, which, like we said, it's, you know, it's based on probably one of the more popular SNL sketches of all time, I guess. I don't know how to rank those things. Yeah, it's um, definitely a sketch that, you know, people really enjoyed. And and from an era where there were a lot of great sketches, but we could have gotten a Matt Foley motivational speaker movie, which would not have been as funny as Wayne's World. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, then again, any Chris Farley is is Chris Farley I'll take, but point taken. He's in this. He is in Um, this. We actually do get to see Farley. But, you know, we're coming out of a really fabulous era i guess depending on who you ask if you ask gen xers it's the best era of saturday night live and has been garbage ever since um but we are coming out of a a well-loved era of saturday night live and wayne's world was one of the skits right that helped make that right so the movie itself is about you know there are two heroes wayne and garth running their cable access show out of wayne's mom's basement and then coming to the attention of like these big city Chicago TV executives, one, not- one notably played by Rob Lowe, our friend from uh, Way- uh, not Wayne's World, Tommy, <laughs> our friend Tommy from Boy. Tommy Boy, who yes. is, I guess, never not playing some kind of sleazy huckster type character. He's just so yeah. good at it. <laughs> Which is funny. So when he shows up in Parks and Rec and is so genuine and kind, you're like, wait, what do you want, Rob Lowe? Yeah, like, is that the same Rob Lowe? <laughs> I don't, I don't believe know. you. I don't believe this man. But Rob Lowe offers them the chance to do their TV show for, you know, millions of people with, with sponsor money, the, you know, national stardom, the works. And in the process, Wayne winds up meeting Cassandra, who is a, a rock bass player slash uh, singer who he quickly falls in love with. And the plot kind of spirals out from there. It's a pretty paper thin plot. Yeah. Wayne gets the money loses the money gets the girl loses the girl and it all comes back around again mm-hmm. it's pretty simple but you know it, to take a simple plot like that and hang just classic joke after a classic joke on it it's kind of the perfect framework for a movie yes and with a i don't want to say like just an interesting soundtrack because that undersells it but a soundtrack that lands at a very specific point in time in what we're listening to as a nation and looking ahead in a lot of ways to what we're about to become. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is kind of fascinating. Now, I want to note before we dive in, the soundtrack was produced by Ted Templeman, um, which for me is kind of notable because despite the fact that it's a hard, like a soundtrack that focuses on a lot of hard rock and 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 what was considered heavy metal in the 80s and early 90s, we're not seeing Van Halen, which was one of his big acts. He was really, really noted for producing several of their records. Um, And it makes sense that he would produce this. He'd moved from producing the soft rock and the yacht rock of the 70s and 80s into more hard rock. Um, But a kind of fun fact, he also produced cheap trick um, okay. from our heavy metal episode mm-hmm. 
And Royal Crown Review, including their big breakout uh, album Muggsy's Move in 1996. Are you kidding me? Really? No. Wow. And that album was bolstered by a remixed and sort of with new lyrics version of Hey Pachuco. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I guess Templeman. it's also worth noting that this this soundtrack and this film, kind of like Bill and Ted, is very Van Halen adjacent, even though Van Halen doesn't actually appear anywhere near the film or the soundtrack. Yeah, and I'm kind of wondering if it's because it's a little too California. This takes place in Chicago. Yeah, maybe it's, so. That might be the reason. Um, like the two connections I noticed uh, from this were, you know, Garth is like half the time Garth is wearing a Van Halen T-shirt, mm-hmm. just like Bill and Ted. But also one of the songs that Crucial Taunt play in the film is a cover of a song by a band called Private Life, which was personally produced by Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. So I'm kind of surprised we just didn't get a Van Halen tune, but that's a, a minor note. It's just like with uh, Bill and Ted, it kind of strikes me that maybe Van Halen was just too busy. He maybe. Did, if, he, if he really wanted to, he probably would have. <laughs> so let's just jump straight into it then, because the first... I mean, we start with, you know, Rob Lowe and his sexy girlfriend are flipping channels and they see Wayne's World and his girlfriend is telling him, oh yeah, everybody watches Wayne's World. And we then cut to um, sort of the last scene as they're filming Wayne's World and they bring on uh, Charles Nolan who I thought was Alan Alda <laughs> yeah he really... kind of, I always wondered who that was yeah yeah it's not Alan Alda um and he has a machine called the suck cut and he's gonna give uh Garth a demonstration of cutting his hair with a vacuum <laughs> it doesn't go well and Garth is screaming turn it off turn it off it's sucking my will to live which is what Joe said to me when we watched Vision Quest I said it multiple times yes <laughs> it certainly does suck and here we get the way the film is going to be told because Wayne breaks the fourth wall and addresses us directly and he's sort of telling us about his life about Wayne's world he walks us essentially through the plot Okay, I still live with my parents, which I admit is both bogus and sad. But at least I've got an amazing cable access show. I still know how to party. But what I'd really love is to do Wayne's World for a living. It might happen. Yeah, and monkeys might fly out of my butt. We are also introduced to the Mirthmobile. Yes, Garth's baby blue AMC pacer with amazing looking flames painted on the sides. (laughs) I I found out that that car sold at auction a few years ago for like 30 some thousand dollars and my first thought was I could afford that car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's famously a really shitty car <laughs> and the only reason that one in particular is famous at all is because of Wayne's World. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, who needs a DeLorean Ernest Klein? Yeah, exactly. Kind of the Mirthmobile. Give me a Mirthmobile. Because the Mirthmobile has room for friends. So I guess it makes sense that Ernest Klein would have a DeLorean because he doesn't have any friends. And it has a CD player and a Twizzler dispenser. Yeah, exactly. Or a Red Vines dispenser, if that's your thing. (laughs) That is my thing. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, so the the classic scene from Wayne's World happens right up front, and it's the one everybody knows, and it's the one everybody loves to to bang their heads along to. It's Wayne and Garth and the guys 
driving to the concert at the Gasworks listening to Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Let's go to a clip. Let's do it. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the fandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo. Galileo. I do think it's really bold of them to open their film with the iconic scene. Mm-hmm. It's not like in the middle in a sort of aimless B story piece. It's right up front. And I love that. I have a theory about that. And I think it's because like if you're not on board with Wayne's World immediately from Saturday Night Live, this is a thing that they can like bring in new converts basically and say, look, these guys are just like you. Okay, you know, that makes sense. it's kind of an introductory sort of thing. Like, if if you can't get behind Wayne and Garth banging their heads to Queen, you're not going to have a good time with this movie. Yeah, maybe go by the achy breaky heart. Yeah, exactly. Tape. This is not my favorite Queen song. That would be good old fashioned Lover Boy, or That's fair, or Radio Gaga. But the importance of this song, of course, is the sheer cultural impact of its re-release, as you indicated in Billboarding School. Right. But also, if you sit and think about what's on the radio in 1992, you're hearing grunge as it starts to reach its zenith. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you're hearing a lot of country for no goddamn reason at all. (laughs) Yeah. Then along comes this, what, 25-year-old rock opera, six minutes long, glam rock and it must sound like it's coming from another world yeah it's like space aliens wrote a song yes everything around you is stripped down and honky tonk and hokey and then you have bohemian rhapsody and it's being listened to by ostensibly two cool guys the kind of guys that you want to be and that you want to hang out with who themselves are it, like at the the tail end of baby boomers but they're playing teenagers and that it's it's a really it's a bold strategy as i said because you're taking a risk that the teenagers who are going to see this movie are going to see themselves in that and they did and it's so funny because in a lot of ways we're seeing this now i mean every couple months or so some 13-year-old named Beckethy <laughs> discovers, I don't know, Carly Simon and lip syncs a song. And all of a sudden, it's number one on iTunes or or the, the streaming service that we shall not speak its name. Yeah. Have you heard this You're So Vain song? Oh, my God. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Nobody yeah. knows this song, but I'm telling you about it now. Yeah, my husband gets that at the teen center all the time. Oh, man, I believe it. And so in in a way, they sort of like predicted that. They created that. <laughs> they created. Because this Wayne, really. Wayne's you know, World created TikTok. <laughs> yes, is what we're saying. No, this really is the ultimate in car sing-along songs. It really and, is. Yeah, to the point where in the film Bohemian Rhapsody, which I didn't see, uh, Mike Myers plays a record executive. It is, he, it is the worst fucking thing, yes. I'll bet. 
Okay, how about John's song, You're My Best Friend, you know? Ooh, you make me live, catchy, stronger. What about I'm in love with my car? You're joking. Mm. Oh, Jesus. I love it. Well, that's the kind of song teenagers can crank up the volume in their car and bang their heads to. Bohemian Rhapsody will never be that song. Isn't that funny and clever? Haha. <laughs> but then that that made me think of not the Queen, not the Bohemian Rhapsody thing, but just the phenomenon in general made me think of something the other day. And I did some math. So in '92, Bohemian Rhapsody was 17 years old. What would the modern equivalent of that be today? Like a, a song from 17 years ago that most of us, you know, 30 somethings and younger would still like drive around town and scream out loud with our friends to. Dear God, please don't tell me, but I have to know. And I put the question to Twitter, and most people responded with the killer's song, Mr. Brightside. And that's fair. I I kind of think that's right. Like that's I, probably it. It's not my that's per- our Bohemian Rhapsody. It's not my pick, but you know what? I totally get it. I totally see that. Okay. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't as bad as you thought it might be. <laughs> okay. My mind immediately went to dark places. But like just a song like that, that everyone can kind of get behind, even if they don't know the words, which, you know, in, in the scene, one of the, my favorite jokes is that they cut to Garth and he's just kind of miming the words because he obviously doesn't know them. <laughs> and the story behind that was that on the day of shooting, Dana Carvey thought he had it and definitely did not. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so Garth. It really is. I love Garth. I'm. My ex-boyfriend, Aaron, really liked this song, and I remember him describing it to me as if I'd never heard Queen before, as if I didn't have parents. <laughs> um, he's like, yeah, because it covers, like, every genre of music in, like, one song. I'm like, okay, it covers, like, three. Yeah, really. It does not fully cover the entire swath of popular music, Aaron. What do I know? I'm just a girl. Bohemian Rhapsody is the favorite Queen song of people who don't really like Queen. Yeah. What's your favorite Queen song? My favorite Queen song? I want to say I Want It All is my favorite Queen song. Ooh, that's a good one. Because I'm a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I've got a real soft spot for Fat Bottom Girls, too. Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. You can't go wrong. They make their fucking world go round. Yeah. (laughs) I always thought Bicycle Race was fun. Yeah, I like that one, too. Um, They're so... Queen was so good. So many good, so, so many good Queen songs that are just plain fun. You know, rock, yeah. like from an era when rock music could was allowed to be fun. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, I think, what we're seeing on this soundtrack is like an era where rock used to be fun, and the people that are doing it are performing it now in in the present of the movie. Kind of forget how to have fun. Yeah, because all of the uh, covers that are on this are great. Like our covers are at least covers of great songs. And then the current, you know, 1992 songs just kind of suck the fun out of the room yeah, a little bit. Yeah, they kind of flop. Um, I would like to make a note that Phil, who is p- totally partied out, is played by Lee Turgeson, who is one of those actors. Uh, he's best known for playing Tobias Beecher on Oz, and I have, in fact, seen him naked. Oh, great. It's, we're going to have, a, have no, that conversation again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Because he looks so different. And I didn't put the two of them together because I hadn't seen Wayne's World in a long time. I was like, oh, I wonder what else he's been in. And he's like, Wayne's? Oh, no. 
I was like, oh, gross. <laughs> I've seen someone from Wayne's World naked. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, so the guys make it to Stan Makita's Donuts, <laughs> which I, I have to assume is a parody of Tim Hortons. God, I hope so. You know, it's I've, a nice looking donut shop, though. Like, I want to go there. Can I can I tell you a secret? I've been to Stan Makita's Donuts. <gasps> Where is it? In 1994, they built an entire Wayne's World section of a theme park at the Carowinds Theme Park in Charlotte, North Carolina. They had two attractions. One was a wooden roller coaster called the Hurler, <laughs> and the other was a real working Stan Makita's Donuts. That is delightful. And I loved it. <laughs> I'll bet. It lasted for about 15 years. They tore it down in 2006. No. I love old donut shops, though. Oh, I yeah. truly love old donut shops. Like, don't, when donut shops could be donut shops, when it wasn't just like, get your coffee and get the fuck out. Right. Like a, di- a diner where you can buy donuts. Yeah. And, and sit and stay a while. And drink coffee until you're no, no longer partied out. Exactly. We get an appearance from Ed O'Neill, who apparently works at this donut shop, and he is just the most disturbing individual in this entire movie, and I love him. <laughs> I know. He's wonderful. He's talking about how he's killed a man. <laughs> I'd never done a crazy thing in my life before that night. Why is it if a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic? Yet if he kills a man in the heat of passion, it's called murder. Hello. What do you think you're doing? Only me and Garth get to talk to the camera. Come on. They order, order crawlers and coffee. Garth orders a jelly donut because he is a man of refined taste, like myself. And he drinks it with a straw, which I love. That's the only proper way. I love jelly donuts. <laughs> I had one today, actually. Oh, nice. Um, and in here, we hear a song that's not on the soundtrack. Um, but we've got Ugly Kid Joe's Everything About You when we meet Stacy, Wayne's ex-girlfriend, a.k.a. the Psycho Hose Beast. That's yes. This ugly kid Joe guy seems like a fun, easygoing guy who like lots of stuff. Yeah. And the monkeys are going to fly out of my butt. Yeah, really. I so. love the music video, though, where they're just, like, stomping around on a beach. It's so <laughs> dumb. Yeah. I actually thought this was a lady singing at first. Really? Yeah. He kind of has a lady voice. This song was also, like, way up there on the charts when I was doing billboarding school research. Really? Yeah. So Ugly Kid Joe was having a moment, and they put the song in the movie, but for some reason, it never made it to the soundtrack. Yeah, um, which is strange, because I would have preferred this over Soundgarden's Loud Love. And even that one, like, that only got, uh, that only wound up on the soundtrack, like, in a couple of pressings. So it's kind of like a iffy situation. Yeah, but this sounds much more like something Wayne and Garth would listen to. Oh, definitely. So... Um, so I think it fits better than the other. It's definitely less of the grungy kind of sound and more just like after effects of hair metal, sort mm-hmm. of. And the stop at the donut shop allows us to see a little more of, well, Wayne's world. So we get to see the donut shop owner. We get to see Phil. We get to see Stacy. We meet the cop. You just sort of see the people that populate and who watch his show and who live in this world with him, which I like. They're small little parts, but you get the sense 
of community. The show doesn't just exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And when you're talking about public access, which Wayne's World is, that's a crucial part of it. Right. And that it was part of a community that everybody sort of tuned in. And, you know, YouTube and TikTok are trying to pick some of that up. But because it's such a global community watching those, it's not quite the same. You're not going to see the guy who does the show about alien encounters at the grocery store if he's on YouTube. Yeah, no. But you see all the local weirdos who have their puppet shows and their weird talk shows. You will see them around on public access. And that's what this scene really shows us. Yeah, and to me, it's their their public access show is more like a podcast than a lot of like the TikTok YouTube stuff because it's yeah. very more it's much more insular and the the community around it is much more dedicated. Mm-hmm. So like all, our community, all our of wonderful you lovely listeners. party people out there, you know. Who <laughs> <we're talking about>. <laughs> <laughs> but the guys finally make it to the gas works, which has a bitchin' sign. It really does. And, and and Meatloaf is out there taking tickets. Mm-hmm. And he gives us one of the better jokes in the movie. Hey, Tiny, who's playing today? Jolly Green Giants, Shitty Beatles. The Shitty Beatles? Are they any good? They suck. But it's not just a clever name. Once they make it past Tiny, uh, they get into the club and we hear, we're, we're listening to Crucial Taunt perform Jimi Hendrix's Fire. Neither of which are on the soundtrack. Yeah, I know. It's odd. Yeah. Because we'll hear Foxy Lady on the soundtrack a little later, and we will hear Crucial Taunt, although they're not billed as such, but we don't get this cover. Seems like a waste. It was a missed opportunity, because I actually really like this cover. (laughs) I do, too. Um, I really want a Crucial Taunt album. I was thinking the same thing. Like All of the songs that we hear Crucial Taunt doing in the film, they're all covers. I would have loved like a full covers album with Tia Carrera in this band. Yes, and that's they're all billed to uh, Tia Carrere. Right. Which I, I really do wish that Crucial Taunt had sort of gotten their due. I think it would have it would have made this feel less like a soundtrack album and more like you are having the Wayne's World experience. Right, like wouldn't this have been great if this was like a two-disc album and the first album was just your soundtrack and then disc two was Crucial Taunt's, you know, covers the hits, basically. Mm-hmm. That would have been great. Yeah, we're marketing geniuses. I know. But in this club, we also get another song that is on the soundtrack, and I wish it wasn't. <laughs> You're talking about Dreamweaver? I am talking about Dreamweaver. Let's go to a clip. It's kind of a dumb needle drop. I don't. I'm I not hate this. Lie. I hate this song. Um, I understand why it's in the film. I get it, and I believe it also dates back to the sketches. But I hate this song so much. I hate its goofy '70s vibes. I feel like the guy was it Gary Wright? Yeah, Gary Wright. I feel like he lives in a trailer with a lot of tapestries and candles and Chianti bottles and definitely has more than one dream catcher and tapestries and just like vibes. I hate it. I hate all of it. <laughs> just feel like he's got a, a 
half-used bottle of baby oil that he's going to rub on you. It's just... Jeez, Libby, tell us what you really think. Ugh. It's such a cliche that it's been used in at least a dozen other films, including two that we talked about on here. Which which two? Apparently, it is in Spaceballs. I can't think of where. And also Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Bogus. <laughs> now, it, this instance is special, though, because I know Gary Wright actually re-recorded the song for this soundtrack. Oh, what a so, sad, sad man. So the version on the soundtrack, and I assume in the film, is a different version from the one that he, he put out in 76. <laughs> I don't care. I still hate it. I have some billboarding school on that, too, if you want. Oh, bring it on. <laughs> so Dreamweaver went to number two in 1976. The song that Inexplicably. Kept, inexplicably. The song that kept that song from hitting number one was the Four Seasons song, Oh, What a Night. Okay, I like that song. <laughs> Thank you, Four Seasons. You've done your job. There you have it. That's all you I've protected got. Protected <laughs> us from Dreamweaver. That's all I've got on Dreamweaver. But yeah, this is and, one that will come up a couple of times in this film. Because every time he looks at Cassandra, the song starts playing in his head. Exactly. So, and looking at Cassandra, who is beautiful, um, this is really like what I think I thought I would look like as an adult, like that I would wear crop tops and like high-waisted little shorts and thigh highs and I would fight people. You would fight people in lingerie in a, in a nightclub? Yes. And play bass in a rock band, I guess. I don't know, but it, like between her and... Um, Blaze Fielding, I think is her name, from Streets of Rage. I was like, that's what being an adult is. You just wear, like, short shorts and fight people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean... Because I didn't think I'd still live in upstate New York in January, where I'm wearing several layers of fleece. Which it should be noted, this is taking place outside of Chicago, so that's not necessarily any better. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, but he goes ahead and makes a racist joke and it, it makes a point about like how she is like learning English and he goes and learns Cantonese later. I mean, she is an American. She's from Hawaii. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it, and it's a, it's weird to know that like they specifically wrote her that way. Like if they had just cast Tia Carrere cause she was Tia Carrere, that would have been one thing, but they were looking for, you know, an Asian actress to play this Asian character. Yes, but to play her as an immigrant, having to, like, learn English and, I don't know, I think it's it's kind of a weird choice there. It's a very, it's a very 1992 choice, right? I guess is what I'm saying, that she speaks sometimes in broken English and... Yeah, it's not necessarily, like, off-putting, but it's just a little odd. Yeah, but she also um, makes Garth feel funny, like, when you climb the rope in gym class. (laughs) Yeah. Dana Carvey is amazing. We haven't talked enough about how great Dana Carvey is and how he's a national treasure, and I love him. I know, like, when they came up with Wayne's World, like the sketch, Mike Myers had already invented Wayne. He had been doing that character for years at that point. But then on SNL, they just they needed somebody to sit next to him to help him make jokes, and they just shoved Dana Carvey in there as this weird, nerdy guy who loves Wayne. And yeah. somehow, from out of that they turned it in into this this really kind of sweet friendship between this really doofy party guy and this gigantic nerd friendship on screen i guess the well, two really screen, weren't yeah. pals which you can't tell from here i mean if you really look you're sort of like okay 
they don't seem particularly warm all the time. But Dana Carvey was actually the more noted performer. Yeah. On SNL at that time. I mean, he was the one doing all of the all of the impressions and all of the the big characters at the time. Yeah. Yes, and you know there wasn't the Mike Myers show. There was the Dana Carvey show. I mean, it tanked and ruined everybody's career, but um, at least temporarily until the Daily Show came calling. That's true. Where else? Okay, so Wayne Wayne and Cassandra have their first meet cute, and in the background we get uh, Soundgarden's "Loud Love." Do we want to go to a clip of that? Yes. Okay. I, mean, I don't, but here we go. Here we go. It's an odd choice, I think, because like it's a Soundgarden song from a few years prior before they really broke big. And in 92, they were they had broken big. So I don't understand the choice to pick a song from like the pre grunge phase, you know? Yeah, I'm not really sure of that either, except that maybe it's got like a little bit of the old metal sound. Um, Yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Um, Honestly, grunge is exhausting. It's just, it's an exhausting style of music. I always feel, like, really drained after I listen to it. Like, I could take one or two. But usually, like, Soundgarden leaves me feeling like I woke up in a gutter. Uh, It just, (laughs) it leeches the calcium from your bones. Like, is that what heroin is like? You're just, like, you're just loose and tired? No, so now you're just describing Chris Cornell's voice. I guess. And like, I like Chris Cornell, but I don't know what it is about Soundgarden. They always make me really tired. <laughs> not like sleepy, like, oh, I could just, it's not Dreamweaver. Uh, it just makes me feel like I got in a fight. I don't know. Yeah. And I'll, I'll admit, like, I grew up like being really into the, the grunge scene for some. I love grunge. I do. I really You're do. Right. It's You're my 90s boy. Exactly. So I don't know what the hell's wrong with me, but like, I, I don't know where I was going with this. It doesn't, you're right. It doesn't fit with like the whole motif of the rest of this film. Yes. And especially because. Because oh, like, because like if Wayne's world had been more of like a, a singles kind of film or if it had taken place in like any other city in America, it like you could definitely make a Wayne's world that's about grunge and it would be depressing and kind of not funny. Because, yes, but because grunge is not specifically not funny. No, it's pretty self important and i just think it's it's interesting and we know that mike myers and dana carvey are not teenagers they're playing teenagers and i don't know if it's it's because of the conversational nature of the film that you you sort of believe they're teenagers you forget that it's mike myers playing wayne and dana carvey playing garth um it's it's kind of interesting because even they're supposed to be like 20 something slackers but they're not into the music on the charts at the time. So they're they're not listening to Soundgarden. And even because even that song is a couple years old. And the newest song on the soundtrack is the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which we'll talk about later. Um, so we're also a little early in 1992 for the classic rock revival that's going to come later with the sort of resurgence of 
uh, the, or rather the 50 year anniversary of the Beatles. Uh, the Eagles hell freezes over in 1994. Um, so what's interesting to me is if you look at it one way, Wayne's World is made by a couple of middle-aged men trying to appear comically youthful while utilizing the music of their childhood. Mm-hmm. Or that they're cultural trendsetters who helped usher in the return of classic rock radio for a new generation. That's, a, I mean, or either, both. yeah, either way, like kind, kind of sort of both. But then I, it also re- just reminds me of the film Airheads. Have you seen that movie? A long time ago. Where that movie came out in, I think, 94 or 95. And that the whole like theme of that movie is the death of like terrestrial rock radio. So the thing that Wayne and Garth are kind of championing sort of doesn't exist three or four years later. Well, the other thing is that this is... Let's go with Wayne and Garth rather than the actors who play them. Right. Gen X are the children of... The, of the rock and rollers. So the, this generation that they're portraying grew up listening to their parents' music. It's like we said earlier, you know, if we did this now, they would be singing The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Right. And so I think that is an important piece of it too because I, I don't know how, how to finish that. So um, let me rethink I that. guess one way to look at it is if we look at other uh, Mike Myers films, like specifically Austin Powers, which, you know, to tease our next episode, we'll talk a lot about that. But, you know, Austin Powers came out of Mike Myers kind of doing a tribute to his dad who loved spy movies. So I, mm-hmm. I have to imagine that Wayne's World is coming from a place where either Mike Myers or somebody he knows really was into this scene and he's basically doing this for them. Well, and I've talked to Gen X guys I know and... They, a lot of them are, they are genuinely into bands like Steely Dan and, and not even like semi ironically, like one of the biggest Steely Dan fans I know is my friend Matthew and he's like, he's a solid Gen X. Mm -hmm. And so I think part of it was that this is the, they grew up listening to that and that was what was dominant on the radio and so, yeah, you had these new bands coming in, but there's something sort of comforting about Wayne and Garth listening to Jimi Hendrix. And I think that's also why Wayne's World became big with like kids, like when, when we were young and we were into this movie, because our parents could look at this and say, oh, they love the music that I love. It must be okay. Because I love the, you know, my dad loved Jimi Hendrix. My dad loved Queen. And right around this time was when, queen's greatest hits album came out my dad definitely bought it and i definitely wound up owning it because of him and because of this so i think it's seen it's probably seen as a little bit more fam more family friendly just because like they are they're tapping into something that you know the baby boomer parents can appreciate and and enjoy with their kids which i know is a weird way of saying it because like this is definitely not a movie for children but it's more accessible at least yeah and and they genuinely love it. They see this as you know, as like rock and roll, and there's still a little bit of that rebellious spirit, like even in this film, which is corporately produced and filled with sponsorships and product placement. And even though it's about them, like quote unquote, rejecting that, this isn't this isn't Clerks. This isn't Singles. This is a corporate film 
made for fat sacks of cash. This is a film produced by Lorne Michaels. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the most corporate man in television. Yes. We have to remember that. But it does. It kind of sweeps you up in in that message and you, in that moment. You really do sort of buy it coming from these guys. Yeah. So... So they're good salesmen, if nothing else, I guess. Yes, indeed. So just to move the plot along, uh, Wayne and Garth meet uh, Benjamin, who tries to sell them on the concept of, you know, selling Wayne's World to a spot or having a sponsor come in and pay for Wayne's World to be put on national TV. Mm -hmm. And they take the money, basically, and run. They get (laughs) (laughs) $5,000. Yes. And uh, they do this. While Eric Clapton's uh, Loving Your Lovin' plays. Yeah, let's go to a clip. We don't need the aggravation. I don't need the pain. Even though you're near starvation, you're so insane. What can I say now? Why does Eric Clapton keep showing up on this podcast? I don't know. He's our nemesis. He's the smash mouth of the early 90s and the late 80s. Um, This one is better than Heaven is One Step Away, but God, he is so corny. It is. Eric Clapton is so corny. You know, when the song came up on the on the soundtrack, I, I wasn't looking at the track listing. I just thought, I, I, and I said to myself, I forgot Randy Newman was on this soundtrack. <laughs> this sounds like a Randy I Newman wish. song to me. Oh my god, I wish. Ugh. But yeah, and you're right. Eric, it's not bad. It's just it's super middle of the road. This is for dads who wear khakis on the weekend and the most exciting thing they're going to do is walk around Home Depot without buying anything. <laughs> I'm going to get under my truck for 5 minutes and not work on it. Yeah, this is like aspirational daddom. It's <laughs> HGTV for dads in music form. <laughs> Yeah. Like, you're never going to fucking build that deck, Dale. <laughs> Give it up. Like, I could definitely hear this song on, like, the Color of Money soundtrack. God, you know? Eric Clapton just sucks so hard. Can I ask a serious question about Eric Clapton? And I don't want sure. anybody to take offense to this, but this is genuinely how I feel. Yeah. Why is Eric Clapton still alive and George Harrison dead? Because God is fundamentally unfair. You know, I heard Layla on the radio the other day, and I asked that question to myself out loud, and it just made me sad. Wow. He made a pact with Satan. That's the only thing I can think. Is Satan Van Morrison? Because, yes, I believe that. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. I don't like Van Morrison either. <laughs> Van Morrison, more like it. Yes, yeah, said it. That's the title of the new Weezer album. <laughs> See, I know you're joking, but I also sort of believe you. I mean... Rivers Cuomo is listening to this show and he just got an idea for his next album. So I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Smith's, Smith's songs that sound like Van Halen songs. I want to shoot myself. Gross. <laughs> but also, uh, we missed an entire song, actually, because uh, Wayne and Garth go to get the Mirthmobile inspected by their friend Phil the next day after the show, the concert. And we hear the Bullet Boys song Rock Candy on the radio. Let's go to a clip. Let's do it. Ain't no nobody wants you. You're candy, baby. 
rock candy. Now, speaking of people who can't seem to leave this podcast, this is a cover of a song by the band Montrose. Who is in Montrose, you ask? Oh, a little singer named Sammy Hagar. <laughs> Our friend Sammy Hagar. Why couldn't I, Sammy Hagar be on this podcast or on this, uh, this soundtrack? Just put Sammy Hagar on. Because at the time he was in Van Halen and Van Halen was too good for Wayne's World. Nothing's too good for Wayne's World. Nothing's too wow. good for Wayne's World. Yeah, this is actually, I got to say, this is a kind of low rent soundtrack it's, for a movie of, of its caliber. It's really, yeah, it's not, it's, what did we say? It's not boxing at its own weight class. I don't know. Wrestle, wrestle your own weight. Rest, yeah, it's, wrestle at your own weight, Wayne's World. But they, they, yeah, they keep trying for these big rock songs, and they keep falling flat. Yeah, this, this one, it's a lot of riffing and it's a lot of screeching, and it just sounds like a shitty ACDC song, which I'm going to be saying at least three or four more times tonight. Yeah, I found one that's a little more of an ACDC ripoff, but we'll get to it. Um, there's a line: uh, "Pull up your pants, take a chance," and um, I feel like some movie is missing its training montage music <laughs> like will vision quest 2 please come to customer service that's vision you quest your 2 montage music. gross anatomy <laughs> pull up your pants take a chance so at least they're telling people to pull up their pants not pull down their pants and take a chance because that's how herpes happens I guess so you can't take any chances with your pants on the ground yeah <laughs> Oh, I I uh, don't care about this song. I don't want to listen to it. I just want to note that it was here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. It's really stupid, dumb, the, and the, silly. Yeah, but the guys get their five thousand dollars, and they go to hang out at Cassandra's loft apartment, where the band apparently plays whenever whenever she's at home. Which is weird to me. I don't know yeah, why, but I, I think that's weird. Again, that kind of like, oh, cool people live in these loft, like rent out entire lofts. We saw it in Flashdance, too. Yeah. Where she has this industrial warehouse that she lives slash rehearses in. I guess maybe zoning was looser back then. Maybe, maybe so. But then, like, I have a friend now who lives in a place just like that and it's fine. So maybe, what do I know? <laughs> but, like, this place, Cassandra's Loft, if A, it's in Chicago. And B, it's huge, and I have to wonder, like, that place must be freezing, right? Yeah. I imagine it's very chilly in there. A lot of space heaters. But Crucial Taunt here is playing a song called Touch Me, which is, as we noticed noticed earlier, uh, a cover of a song by Private Life. I think this is the best Crucial Taunt song in the film. Um, I like this one a lot. (laughs) I'm really torn because I really like Ballroom Blitz. Um. This one's pretty rocking, though. It's, it's kinda... better than Fire. I think it's on par with Why Do You Want to Break My Heart, but for different reasons because they, they are very different songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm gonna I'm still gonna go with Ballroom Blitz. This one also isn't on the soundtrack. It's not, and again, because they had to get an Eric Clapton song on there for no goddamn shove reason. Shove Eric Clapton in there. Like the Crucial Taunt songs are probably the best part of the film. The best yeah. songs in the film, I'll say. They essentially make it a musical. They really kind of do. Oh, God, there's going to be a Wayne's World Broadway musical, isn't there? We've probably something, summoned something terrible into existence. Who do I have to kill to make this not happen? Oh, God. Is it Rob Lowe? <laughs> <laughs> no, I would never. I, I, we love you, Rob Lowe. Um, 
what the heck happens? Oh, yeah, Benjamin tries to pick up Cassandra because, of course, he does. And Cinderella's hot and bothered is playing on the soundtrack. Yes, let's go to it. Let's do that. limousine it has to be (laughs) (laughs) now this one rocks really hard and it actually wouldn't be out of place on the beavis and butthead soundtrack yeah really what i do like about this one is because it really does speak to a time when music was you know like fun yeah like you could just party but but you didn't have to go to a nightclub you could just like hang out just hang out and listen to some rocking tunes yeah yeah I really like that. And it's this, like, I can't take it seriously, but it's fun to listen to. Yeah, this is another one of those songs that just kind of, it sounds like they're trying to do ACDC. And they do a pretty good job of it. I yeah. don't hate it. Yeah, I think it's a little, I don't hear ACDC in this one. Um, It's a little too glam, I think, but I see where you're going. I mean, it's he's, he's got that Brian Johnson screech down like perfectly. Yes, he really does. And this is also one of the, like, three or four songs that got music videos based off of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it sure does. Enough. It's, you know, the band's playing the song. Wayne and Garth are there. They're cutting to back and forth to clips from the film. Sure, why not? Yeah. It's, it's 1992. MTV is playing whatever. It's a crazy time. <laughs> the film came in under budget. We had 10000 extra dollars lying around. Make another yeah. video. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and we get we get a conversation in Cantonese, which I again I like. I like the representation. Um, I think it's a little forced, but but, but I think their hearts are in the right place. Their hearts are in the right place, but it also comes with another one of those awkward jokes where you know Americans make fun of the way foreign movies handle subtitles. Yeah, because eh, get it? Because nobody likes to read. Yeah, kind of. Um, and the next scene. I just want to talk about it briefly. There's no music in it, but I just always think it's really funny. Um, where they're out under the tarmac, Wayne and Garth, and they're laying on the Mirthmobile. And my husband, when we were watching this, was like, I've always wanted to do that. Like, lay there and let the plane come in. <laughs> yeah. So. There, I, I, I live near an airport. There's a place to do that. But the, the police drive by it so often you're, that you really can't do it anymore. Yeah, I feel like that's probably something that after 9-11 is mm-hmm. just not okay. Just ruined yeah. it for everybody. Yeah. Um, and they're talking. They have an exchange about Cassandra. Mm-hmm. She's a babe. She's a robo babe. In Latin, she would be called Babia Majora. If she were a president, she'd be Abraham Lincoln. Garth also says something that's kind of profound in here, and it made me stop and think. Like, he whistles the Star Trek theme, but then he says, Sometimes I wish I could boldly go where no man has gone before, but I'll probably stay in Aurora. Oh, It's so sad. It is. <laughs> but he also asks, Did you ever find Bugs Bunny attractive when he put on a dress and played a girl bunny? Which is one of those lines that my sister and I quote all the time. <laughs> I texted it to her actually while we were watching this. And then Wayne says, "No, that fucking liar." 
<laughs> and it reminds me, they did this a similar scene, I think, later, the motel scene in Tommy Boy. Yeah. I think draws from this where he asks, you know, who's your favorite little rascal, Alfalfa, or is it Spanky? <laughs> I think I feel like that draws very similarly from this. I think so, yeah. So and we go to the Wayne's World set. It's a fake Wayne's basement. Yeah, on a TV soundstage. Yes. And we get another one of my favorite lines uh, where they're, they have a green screen behind them and they can go to any city. And they go to New York and Garth says, I've got a gun. Let's go to a Broadway show. <laughs> <laughs> and I think about that a lot. I mean, you've experienced that firsthand, haven't you? <laughs> That was another one my sister and I quoted. <laughs> yeah. So basically, yeah, at this point, Wayne and Garth get the money. They get the, their advance. And apparently Wayne has blown it on a CD player and a, pe- and a Twizzler dispenser in his car. Which I think are two very crucial things. You know, I, I could definitely live with a Twizzler dispenser in my car. Like I've thought about this before. Yeah. How, how to do this. I've thought about this since childhood. <laughs> <laughs> one of my dreams yeah because it, it clips it off because it's like a round so sort of like bubble tape but licorice. yeah it's like a lick it's like a full roll of licorice which god that's the dream yeah but but so wayne and cassandra really they're driving around town he puts a cd in his his new car mounted cd player and it's the red hot chili peppers performing a song titled sicka mica nico Sure. I think that's how you pronounce it. Whatever. Let's sure, whatever. go to a clip. This is what a headache sounds like. Yeah, this is the B-side too, Under the Bridge. Um, and it's our favorite Naked Boys returning to the OS2 party. Yay, hooray. Um, <laughs> it's kind of fabulously deranged Rockadelia. It's got a little bit of like glam essence, but it's like a real stripped down speedball of a song. Yeah, it's it's the Chili Peppers kind of trying to do the Stooges. And, yeah. you know, they've, they've covered a, a couple of Stooges songs before and they can do it. I know they can do it. It's just this is not. This is this one ain't it, guys. Yeah, this is a lot. And again, it feels out of place because it, I it really feel does. like it, Wayne would yeah. just listen to the Stooges. Wayne is well versed in the music of that era. Right. Why why would it benefit Wayne to stay current on new music? Yeah, especially the red hot chili peppers. Right. And this this song reminds me of a quote I've read many times from Nick Cave. There was like a, an article that I read years ago where it was like musicians dissing other musicians. Yes. My and it, there was genre. one from Nick Cave where he said, I am forever near a stereo saying, what the fuck is this garbage? And the answer is always the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that when I heard this song. Harsh but fair. <laughs> yeah. I read a quote the other day where Elvis Costello insulted Morrissey and I was like, schwing. <laughs> fair enough. Like, I don't even hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like, I, I used, again, I used to be really into them in high school, but then there's a time and They're a place so for weird, everything. They're goofy. They are. And this it's is. It's just, like, hard to be an adult who listens to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I know. Like, we all have to grow up sometime. And guess what? When the Red Hot Chili Peppers grew up, you can't listen to that shit either. 
Yes. It's just this, like this was them in their prime, and there was a reason they cut this song from the album. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not that good. No, it isn't. Um, so they dumped it on here for yep. some reason. Fuck you, Wayne's World. Have a song. But um, Wayne blows his advance on a. 1964 Fender Stratocaster. Oh boy. That he has had his eye on forever. Um, and this has another line that I quote all the time. He starts to play Stairway to Heaven on it. No stairway. Denied. That was apparently a real thing. Like, that wasn't really even a joke. That's awesome. And I kind of want to buy that sign for my dad's uh what he calls the rock palace which is my old bedroom it's where he keeps all his guitars oh that's drum sweet set. yeah um i say that a lot that's probably the line in here that i quote the most often stairway denied stairway denied <laughs> a lot of times when i'm turning off stairway to heaven on the radio because i don't really like it that's fair true story that was my senior prom theme stairway denied no stairway to heaven oh okay my senior prom theme Mackenzie Cassidy will back that up okay <laughs> so then the next thing next scene the guys go back to Stan Makita's donuts Garth once again seems sees his dream girl working at the at the donut shop and he has this amazing dream sequence where he gets up and just starts to perform Jimi Hendrix's Foxy Lady which is on the soundtrack let's go to the clip sweet little This is my favorite Hendrix song, and I think it is in part because I have now seen two movies where really goofy guys do stupid dances to it. So Wayne's World and Monkey Bone. <laughs> and so I really like the genre of guys doing sexy dances unsexily to the very sexy Foxy Lady by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. <laughs> That's that's fair. I really love the bit in this where Garth is starting is doing like the hip thrust thing, and yes. th- his shirt that's wrapped around his waist starts to like flop up, and he's like <laughs> he's like amazed at it. And he keeps performing like, "Hey guys, look at this thing I can do." <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing, but I love it. Yes, and it's just it's the essence of Dana Carvey, and because Dana Carvey is not afraid to be silly. And Mike Myers' comedy, he always approaches it very seriously, even like the silliest, dumbest shit. But he really approaches it very, very, very seriously, whereas Dana Carvey is silly. Right. He just he gets joy out of it. He just knows what's funny and he goes for it. Yeah. And is not afraid to look goofy. Right. And I think that's the difference in their approach. Mm-hmm. That's the key. Because mm-hmm. it never looks like Mike Myers is having fun. No, you're, no, you're right about that. Everything. You're very right about that. And then we'll, when we get to the Austin Powers, we'll talk a lot about that. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, we, let's uh, what's the next song on our soundtrack here? Um, we actually have. Um... Oh, I, I got another grunge song here. It's All Night Thing by Temple of the Dog as Wayne and Garth and Cassandra go and visit Benjamin at his apartment. Yes. Which, again, um... another grunge song that. 
it's it's only played kind of as as background music but why is it here and it's weird because like you wouldn't associate this with benjamin because he's got that like american psycho vibe going. if if anything i would associate eric clapton with benjamin yes um we garth actually takes over our narrative here and gives us a tour of the fully functioning babe lair um and he goes into his condom drawer and again like as we talk about lines that we quote all the time i have said ribbed for her pleasure Ew. <laughs> a lot and i think the first time i said it Ian was like what i was like it's from wayne's world like, <laughs> that was one of those lines like i was quoting as a teenager it just cracked me up right like as, as a kid you don't know what that means you don't know what that is <laughs> or like we'd see it like in the drugstore and my sister and i would like pick up a box of trojans and just be like ribbed for her <laughs> pleasure Ew. <laughs> So he goes and gives them two tickets to go see Alice Cooper while he's going to work on Cassandra's music video. Quote, unquote, work on Cassandra's music video. He also speaks Cantonese. How about that? Very well. All right. We get we actually have a couple songs in very, very quick succession here Um, because we get Crucial Taunt. Mm hmm singing why you want to break my heart which is on this it's one of two crucial taunt songs that's on the soundtrack let's go to a clip This is a cover of a Dwight Tilly song. As I said, I do wish these were credited to Crucial Tom, but I really like the kind of slick update of this one. Yeah, it's it's very well produced. Like I could have, I would definitely hear this on a radio somewhere. Yeah, I, I could hear this. Her voice is so sweet. Um, my only complaint is that it doesn't quite sound like something that would be in. 1992 it sounds a little too like 1988 so like laura brannigan is what i'm picturing yeah like paula abdul or i was even thinking like the bangles once they became like pop stars yeah or like belinda carlisle like that kind Mm -hmm. of like you should be wearing like an off the shoulder top and have crimped hair and the background she'd be walking around like a misty street and there'd be close-ups with, like, that J.C. Penny laser background. <laughs> yeah. Like, I could picture yeah. this music video. And, and uh, again, it's, it's you know, it, this is, would have been kind of a throwback because it's 1992 and they're not really doing that that kind of sound anymore. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, one of the other things that we haven't even mentioned is 1992, we were still seeing, like, New Jack Swing. Even. Oh, yeah. So we were in the, the midst of such a huge i don't want to say revolution in music but we had so much going on well so much of the pop music at the time was going more towards like the new jack and like the the synth kind of sound yeah um meanwhile rock and roll was going grunge so this i just don't i i don't think he's got good intentions for i don't think he's really gonna try to make her a star no i just not getting that feeling gee do do you think he gave wayne and garth alice cooper tickets to get them out of the way I could be persuaded. Yeah. Well, we get um, another rock song here because we get 
what I think has to be the best band name we've ever heard here on the OST party. <laughs> this is Ride With Yourself by a band, and I'm not making this up, called Rhino Bucket. Let's go to a clip. Now, this to me sounds like an ACDC knockoff. Oh, yeah. This starts out like it's a long way to the top. Yes. And essentially, this is about a girl who really needs to drink some water and go home. Yeah. (laughs) She sounds exhausting. And when a metal band is telling you that you need therapy, maybe you need therapy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sorry. When a metal band called Rhino Bucket... A band who probably went on tour with Shark Island at some point. <laughs> I want to see them fight. Rhino Bucket versus Shark Island. I just, I need, I need like a multi-part documentary series on how they got the name Rhino Bucket. <laughs> it's insane. I love it I and I hate it. It's it's so dumb. Like, gee, no wonder these guys didn't break big. They're called Rhino Bucket. I'm... Um, Counterpoint, why didn't these guys become the biggest band in the world? They're called Rhino Bucket. I mean, fair Rhino enough. Bucket honestly sounds like the weirdest knockoff like toy. I just I don't know. I'm picturing oh, yo, you're right. Bebop like, it, and or Rocksteady. It's it's like a ki- a weirdo kids board game from like nineteen ninety three. Yeah. <laughs> right play with a rhino bucket. Yeah, don't upset the rhino bucket and the rhinos all come out and you lose. I don't know, but I just... From I need the makers of Hungry, call. Hungry Hippos and Shark Attack Island. <laughs> it's genius. I love it. The song is okay. <laughs> the song's fine. It's an ACDC ripoff from 1992. What do you people want? Yeah, exactly. You can't expect everything from Rhino Bucket. You can either have an awesome name or a good song. Yeah, you cannot have both. You really can't it's have 1992. both. 1992. But yeah, Wayne and Garth are road tripping to Milwaukee to go see Alice Cooper. And of course, once they get to Milwaukee, what do you have to do? You have to do a Laverne and Shirley parody. Yes. And then they remember, wait, what are we doing? We got Alice Cooper tickets. And then immediately smash cut to Alice Cooper bursting out of a skeleton. It might be the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life at this point. Yes. And then performing the song Feed My Frankenstein. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's go to it. But I don't want pizza. I'll blow down your house. And then I'm going to eat ya. Bring you to a simmer. This is my favorite Alice Cooper song. This is great. <laughs> I love it. But I, I have to note for the listening audience at home, because I, this is another thing that I love. Co-written by Alice Cooper and Mark Manning, whose band is called Zodiac Mind Warp and The Love Reaction. Yikes. That's a big name. That's a heck of a name. They recorded Boy. their own version of this song, too. <laughs> yes. For their 1991 album, Hoodlum Thunder. Do you know who's playing guitar? It's it's Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. Yes. 
last seen on our Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, and episode. and this, they they get like a they get like a dueling guitars kind of solo where they're like having a conversation back and forth in guitars, you know, squeaky and it's yeah. it's ridiculous. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> I really, really love this song. Um, it always reminds me of my friend Liz. I think I have a picture of the two of us uh, dancing to it. This is a Halloween party classic uh, in the Libbyverse. Because uh, it's it's great because it's sleazy. So you can like sort of do like a slinky, dirty dance kind of thing. Like you can really like get down and grind. Or you can headbang. So it's really mm-hmm. got something for everyone. It is also an extremely sexual song and features one of the worst lines I've ever heard in any song ever. Okay, I already know you're wrong, but go on. <laughs> the line is, you don't want to talk, so baby, shut up and let me drink the wine from your fur teacup. Okay, that's probably gross, but awesome at the same time. Because there are a lot worse. Um, uh, I'm going to have to say of euphemisms for lady parts, um, Fruitcage from Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel is worse than fur teacup. I don't, it's a toss up. It really is a toss up for me. You know why? Because there are bees and you don't want bees anywhere down by there. Okay. I'll, t- I'll give you that one. I'll take yeah. it. Fair. No, fruit cage is bad. But yeah, this song is 100. It's just nonstop, like gross food, sex puns and Frankenstein imagery, which is generally great. And Alice Cooper <laughs> sells the hell out of it. But that one line just, just, it really hit me in a, in a weird spot. <laughs> it's, um, Sort of the uh, bread and butter of yeah. <laughs> Wayne's World. Going back to our nine and a half weeks episode. It's the two heads oh. are better than one of this album. Yeah, gross. Um, Garth's dancing brings me joy. Oh, yeah. It just brings me pure joy. Uh, so fun Alice Cooper fact. There are so many. Alice Cooper is nothing but fun facts. In a 2007 interview from the BBC radio program Tracks of My Years... Alice Cooper lists Turning Japanese by the Vapors from our Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion episode as one of his favorite songs. Wow. Yes. He also lists Jet's Are You Gonna Be My Girl? So his tastes are questionable. Yeah, so that one cancels out the other. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Um, I do have my one like minor, minor, minor beef with Alice Cooper is that he is sort of widely considered the godfather of shock rock. But seeing as how Screaming Jay Hawkins was doing that in the late 50s, I'm a little like, mm, white guy stealing something that a black man was doing considerably earlier. Yeah, I guess so. And then even in this movie where, where Alice Cooper's bursting out of a skeleton, like, eh, he's kind of doing the same thing. You're right. Yeah. Um, I actually have a friend, uh, my friends Michelle and Scott, who run Reimagine Records, one of the best record stores in upstate new york they just saw alice cooper um like like at the store or no um he performed at a venue nearby and they said it was awesome and he still does the show said he puts on hell of a show he's got the guillotine and all sorts of crazy stuff so (laughs) i imagine that would be really fun that would be fun yeah yes and then we get this very famous scene where they get to go backstage and meet alice cooper who knows a lot about Milwaukee and is surprisingly articulate. Well, I'm a regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. 
The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Miliwake, which is Algonquin for the good land. I was not aware of that. I think one of the most interesting aspects of Milwaukee is the fact that it's the only major American city to have ever elected three socialist mayors. Does this guy know how to party or what? And I say surprisingly, not because I don't think Alice Cooper would be articulate, but because at this point, his image really was more feed my Frankenstein. Yeah. And so to hear him just talk about geography was playing against type. And apparently when they wrote that scene for him, they had no idea that he was, in fact, in real life, like a huge history nerd. So when they mm-hmm. handed those those pages to him, he was just like, oh, yeah, fine, I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> like it was it was totally in, in, in character for him personally because mm-hmm. he loved this stuff, but they didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah. He's actually a very, very lovely human being. And um, I believe it. Yeah. Apparently he like coached his kids little league team. He volunteers at a food pantry like every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Oh, that's like cool. not yeah he's actually like a really really good guy he mentors other musicians who are dealing with drug problems and like helps them get sober mm-hmm. yeah he's alice cooper's a good dude that's awesome yeah it's a way to go alice cooper even though, even though... maybe low-key kind of taking credit for yeah. something a black man came up with yeah That's really more on us than on you maybe maybe so. he'd probably be the first to say it honestly he would absolutely give credit to screaming joe hawkins i bet he yeah it. you know what i bet he would yeah uh, but yeah wayne and garth then meet chris farley backstage who's a security guard who tells them all about this guy named uh, frankie sharp who's like a record executive who drives around the midwest looking for acts and gee that might be important a little bit later yeah spoiler alert it's important a little later of course their first show happens. Wayne gets fired after pranking Noah Vanderhoff, um, who's played by Brian Doral Murray. I don't think we mentioned that yet. No, we haven't. And um, his assistant is Kurt Fuller, our friends from uh, Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, they shared some scenes with Ghostbusters 2. But uh, yeah, Noah Vanderhoff is, the, is the, the owner of this chain of arcades called Noah's Arcade. And he comes on to Wayne's World on their first like big TV episode to promote his arcades. And Wayne just makes fun of him with the cue cards by writing little jokes pointed directly at noah like uh calling him a sphincter boy like wayne likes to do and saying um this man blows goats i have proof i have proof (laughs) and of course uh wayne gets fired for for the stunt wayne and garth have a huge fight about it because then that leaves garth in the lurch having to cover the whole show (laughs) and we get a very early as if (laughs) as if yes several years before clueless that's right uh, and then, you know, Wayne and Cassandra have a fight as well. He loses her. Because um, he sucks. Because he sucks. He's, and he's a an jerk. Idiot. He assumes that Benjamin is trying to, to get with Cassandra. And that she's falling for it. Yeah. He might be right, but that's beside the point. That's not on her. That's not on her. Huh. Then, so we get, th- we get Cassandra's video shoot where they're performing the song Touch Me, which is, cover- which is a cover of a song by Private Life, which I think we, ta- we mentioned a little bit we, earlier. Yeah, we talked about it earlier. So. Wayne then sees the error of his ways and hatches a scheme with Garth, who he's made up with, and all of his other buds at the donut shop to get this Frankie Sharp character to see Cassandra and her band and sign them to a record deal. How do they do that? Garth and the guys go to the TV studio. Wayne goes to get Cassandra. And as Wayne is driving to go pick up Cassandra, we get the next song on our soundtrack. It's Time Machine by Black Sabbath with Ronnie James Dio at the helm. 
Yes, welcome back. This song is okay. It's fine. It's not my favorite. It's it's punctuation for a very specific joke. And that's really all you can say about it. It sounds like a Black Sabbath song with uh, Ronnie James Dio at the helm. Yeah, pretty much. If you put this, uh, the song from Heavy Metal, and the Dio song from Vision Quest, if you played them and then told me to sort them to their respective movies, I would not be able to do it. I'm pretty sure one of them is called Heavy Metal. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Something about a war. I don't know. No. But speaking of time machines, the joke that this song is punctuating, Wayne gets pulled over by a cop because he's speeding down the highway. And the cop comes up to the car. And who is it? Oh, my God. It's Robert Patrick from Terminator 2. Yes, officers. There's something wrong. Have you seen this boy? My husband had to explain that joke to me. Really? I've only seen Terminator 2 once. I was like, what? I don't get it. And he's like, it's, it's the T-1000. It, it would have been funnier in 1992 when that movie had just come out. Yeah. It's one of those topical sure. jokes that, you know, if you get it, that's fine. But it really kind of aged the movie. Yes, I can see that. So we're so close. We're so closely. And Wayne picks up Cassandra. And they go back and they perform Ballroom Blitz on the Wayne's World set in his mom's basement. Mm-hmm. And let's, you know what, this, we've, we've already played this song on the show once before, like 30 episodes ago, but what the hell, let's do it again. Here's, here's yeah. Ballroom Blitz. cover it is and i do love the uh the original by sweet um this was one of my picks for um i believe it was um we did an episode way back it might have been our one of our first on the fives where we talked about songs from movies we didn't think we'd ever get around to covering but here we are yeah two and a half years later so i'm glad we're actually going to talk about it a little more um in the music video wayne and garth do the uh are you ready's yeah between andy and steve in the original sweet song so i thought that was really fun um tia carrere has two grammys for hawaiian music Mm -hmm. and i think that is marvelous i really really want a rock album from her i feel like we missed out on not not valuing her enough to get a real like Pat Benatar level rock album out of her. Yeah, she really has that good like rock star kind of whale. Yeah, and but also has like knows how to pull it back. Mm-hmm. And and we see this on Why You Want to Break My Heart, like a vulnerability that was especially important for women in that late '80s, early '90s scene. And I don't think she's like a Sarah McLaughlin or an Amy Mann. She's not quite a Courtney Love, but I think she could have fit in with some of the the women like um, 
like Pat Benatar. Yeah, or, it's a or, little late, but I feel like she could have bridged that that gap between the folk rock scene grunge and then like the women of rock like the 80s like hair metal era heart songs yeah i feel like she could have upgraded that to the 90s oh yeah i th- I, I agree I, I i think we missed we definitely missed out yeah that's on us that's on us because they after after this you know she she does not appear in wayne's world 2 uh she went on to be in uh james cameron's true lies i think she had a couple of tv shows after that Mm-hmm. Uh, she's one of the main cast members in Lilo and Stitch. I know that. Yes, she is. And after that, yeah, it's I don't really know what's what she's been up to, but a lot of uh, guest spots. Yeah, I'm, here and there. I'm sure. But um, yes, this this really is like a great showcase for her, if any, for, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. So and we go through a couple different endings. You're a fan of the movie, so you know we get the depressing ending where the house burns down. We get the Scooby-Doo ending where the old man is unmasked and the super happy ending where everybody learns a lesson. Including Russell. Yes. I love you, man. And I love you. Because I've learned that platonic love can exist between two grown men. Which is a weird running joke, but I'm glad they kind of pay it off at the end. Yeah, I think so. Um, And then over the credits we get the wayne's world theme yeah let's go to that one they sold out man they became too studio polished. Why is this song five minutes long? It has no reason to be. It's a minute shorter than Bohemian Rhapsody. Jeez. Um, and it, the joke is over in the first minute. Yeah, like, I mean, it, when you when you hear it on TV, it's it's literally like two bars of a song, and you're done because it's a sketch, and you have to move on. But they dedicate a whole five minutes to this song, and that's kind of inexcusable. Yeah, unnecessarily. So, um, they kind of make it sound a little bit like uh, a very studio friendly rancid. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of aping the punk style of that of the era. I almost want to say a little bit of that ska kind of like up tempo beat, but eh, not quite. Yeah, not quite. Not quite. But uh, it's okay. It very much is a product. It reminds you that this is a corporate product that is being sold as a package to you. This song closes out the A side, and then you kind of jump into the B side, which is all almost all of like the good songs on the soundtrack. Yeah. And I only remember that because, like, I actually had this album on cassette when I was a kid, and I listened to it a lot. Oh. <laughs> well, I skipped around a lot because some of these songs just didn't interest me as a child. Mm-hmm. So I would listen to the Crucial Taunt songs because they're in the movie. Bohemian Rhapsody because mm-hmm. it's in the movie. Dreamweaver, it's okay. Yeah. But then I'd always go back to Wayne's World because it's a silly song and I was a stupid kid. You know, and I think it works over the credits, mm-hmm. but I don't think I would listen to it on the soundtrack. Just no, the it's not a real song, but there it is. Uh, yeah. So final thoughts on Wayne's World. It's the movie still holds up. Like the movie is still as funny as it's ever been. I love watching it. I could watch it any day of the week. But the soundtrack. Yeah, I really don't need the soundtrack to this movie. No, it's um, it feels like, again, a placeholder for where we all were in 1992. Not in speaking to the kind of music that we were listening to, but a transformation of handing off. You know, we're still trying to hold on to some of this classic rock as the world changed around us. And almost to the point of, like, actively trying to ignore, like, the grunge scene 
as yeah. it's as it's happening. Get off my lawn. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you damn sound garden. But while embracing the aesthetic of it. A little bit, yeah. So kind of fascinating when you look at it in a wider cultural lens. Mm-hmm. It's very Fun. much sort of beholden to the classic rock of the 70s, but then definitely it tries to marry that with like the end of hair metal, which as we talked about on uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, that's a very kind of tricky place to be. Yeah. It only works in the context of the film. You have to have Wayne and Garth there with you, headbanging in the car. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just listening to a mixtape your dad made. Exactly. And as we said before, I think the real missed opportunity here is that this wasn't a Crucial Taunt album. Yes. Because it really should have been. And also that they dared to put Eric Clapton on there for no reason. Exactly. Why do this to us? When you had Rhino Bucket right there. You could have had two Rhino Buckets for the price of one. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm looking at the Wayne's World 2 soundtrack now. And here's, here's the artists on Wayne's World 2. So Robert Plant, Aerosmith, Joe Jett and the Blackhearts, uh, Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky, uh, Golden oh, Earring, Bad Company, one. Edgar Winter. Like These are all classic rock artists. But then you get the Gin yeah. Blossoms, and then you got uh, Four Non Blondes. So there's a, a couple of like the alt-rock people in there, but it's there. mostly classic rock. They're trying to break through, but it's not. Nothing yeah. doing. Nothing doing. Well, we'll, we'll get around Anyway. Yeah, well, maybe someday. So what are we doing next time? Well, next time is another one of our On the Fives episodes, and we're going to stick with Mike Myers for a little bit because next time we're talking about the music of the Austin Powers films. Yes. I will tell you right now, the films don't hold up. The soundtracks absolutely do. Mm-hmm. So we're going to count down across three films. We're going to count down our top ten. Ten songs, three films. Let's do it. It's going to be a great time. That's going to be math involved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, Libby, where can our listeners find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday. Joe, where can they find you? I am on Twitter at Cordial Wombat, or you can hear me talk about Christmas movies all year round on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. And you can send us anything you want from questions or comments to uh, requests for future episodes at OST Party on Twitter or OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. Fabulous. Fabulous. Excellent. So, well, party on, Joe. Party on, Libby. For the OST Party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride.